to the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 7 and 8, or what we're going to look at uh, tonight. As you're turning there, I've had this told to me many times, and and uh, maybe you have had these words told to you at some point in your life. You may have even thought this, you may have said it aloud to somebody else, but something to this effect, I do not see uh, God's hand in my life. Or, I just don't see what God is doing. Or, I don't feel like God is with me. And I think those are feelings that everybody can come in touch with at some point or another. Where is God? Why do I feel that God is far from me? I don't see God working in my life. Or, I just don't even see what God is doing. And uh, where we are at in this text is really an amazing picture about the good hand of God. It is a repeated phrase that is said to uh, us in these two chapters. And we're going to observe it through the life of somebody new that we haven't looked at at this point. Uh, this, this man's name is Ezra in Ezra chapter 7. Now, some important setup about what is going on in, in talking about where we are in chapter 7. It is easy to read chapter 7 and verse 1. Now, after this in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, and not realize in that one line, 60 years went by from chapter 6. 60 years, a really long time uh, ha- has passed by. And to understand that we are really talking about a new generation that 60 years ha- has passed by. And how different things could be not only in Persia at this time, but also in Judea. Significantly enough that you would imagine how different are things now than they were in 1962. A lot's happened. <laughs> Well, a lot has happened for them as well. Sixty years have gone by. You have a whole new group of people uh, who are on the scene and a whole new focal point and whole new issues that that are being dealt with. Not only do you see them that here is a new people and a new time and a new culture in this new place. The, The next piece of important information is found in those first five verses. You will notice in the first five verses that what you may want to do right there is do like we like to always do with genealogies and go, let me get to verse six, right? Here's a bunch of names of people we don't know. But I want you to notice that you have a really important genealogy that is right here. Notice, even though you might not recognize some of these names, when you get to verse five, you'll really start recognizing these names. Because he ultimately becomes the son of Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. And so this is quite a bloodline that Ezra has. He can trace himself all the way back to Aaron himself. That he is considered then a, that what could be a priest of God. That he has all the bloodlines to be able to perform as as a priest on God's behalf and on behalf of Israel. And what you will notice is that there's a picture that is given to to us about him in verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked... 
for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And that is the phrase that I want us to watch for in these two chapters, is that the hand of God or the good hand of God is going to be active in these moments. And so you'll notice in verse 6 where it describes him as a scribe who has been skilled in the law. And we are told that the reason here that is given for the king of this Artaxerxes, king of Persia, giving everything that Ezra is going to ask is because God's hand is at work. God's hand is on Ezra. In fact, it says it again in verse 9, on the first day of the first month, he came to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the good, good hand of his God was on him. Again, this emphasis about the good hand of God resting upon Ezra, that God is with him. And notice some of the things that were told about why that is. Look at verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is a beautiful picture that's given about Ezra. Ezra's got the bloodlines. He's of the high priest line. He's also a scribe. He is well versed in the scriptures. He knows the law of Moses. And notice the picture that's given here. And it says that he set his heart to study the law, to do the law, and to teach the law. In fact, I like how some of the other translations read this and picturing it where it says Ezra was firmly resolved to study the law, to do the law and to teach the law. The CSB reads that he determined in his heart to study the law, to do the law and to teach the law. NIV, he devoted himself to studying it, doing it, teaching it. That dedicated himself, trying to all get that Hebrew word exposed here of the determination that Ezra had made at this time in his life to devote himself to studying God's law, to doing God's law, and to teaching God's law. And let me ask an obvious, silly question. Is there a better thing to devote yourself to in this life? Is there a better thing to set your heart to know these things, to set your heart, to determine, to devote, to dedicate, to firmly resolve, to study God's word, to do God's word, and to teach God's word? I believe it is fascinating that what you are seeing in this picture in these first 10 verses is the image that because Ezra has devoted himself to God and devoted himself to the study of his word and devoted himself to doing it and teaching it, this is why he is able to see the hand of God, that God is with him because of that devotion and because of that dedication. And so as this scene unfolds, please have this in mind about the character of Ezra and who he is in his devotion, in his desire, and his desire to prepare his heart and to prepare his life so that he could give himself to God's laws. Now, you'll notice from verse 11 to verse 28, can't read all of that, but you'll notice at the beginning of verse 11, this tells us about a copy that with the, of the letter that was given uh, from Artaxerxes to Ezra. And in this letter, it is very similar to the letter that we read about earlier in the book, 
where essentially the king is giving Ezra everything he needs to be able to go back to Judea, go back to Jerusalem, go back and be a part of rebuilding that temple and be a part of the work of the city and teaching the people and doing the work. Resources are described. Animals are described. Wealth is described. It's also put in that letter, the people who are living in the land need to help Ezra and any that he sets up as leaders in that land. They all need to look as look to Ezra and to follow exactly what he says. And I think that's an important picture as this letter unfolds is that here you are seeing the hand of God and saying the people can go back. In fact, so much so that when you read through this in this letter, you could probably count it as yet another exodus. I termed it a second exodus of sorts. You had the first return in 536 that we looked at. In those first six chapters, now you have a second exodus, a second return, leaving Persia or the what was prior Babylon, Babylonian area, and now getting to go back to the promised land again to restart the work and continue to do the work that God had called for his people to do. What I want you to zero in on, though, in particular, is what Ezra's response is when he receives this letter from the king in verse 27. It says there in Ezra 7 and verse 27, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. This is a really a beautiful picture in that everything that Ezra is hoping to do is granted by the king. The king says, sure, go back, take the resources, take the animals, take the wealth, take everything you need. Gather your people, any who are in Persia who want to return in the second return, they are allowed to do it. And what I want you to notice is what Ezra does is he gives every bit of credit to God. Now, he doesn't step back and go, because I was such a good administrator, or I was a great organizer, you know, I had this really great idea about wanting to go back. He puts all of this on God. God is the reason why this has come to pass. God is the reason why we can go back. God is the reason why I'm having success. God is the reason why my prayers are being answered, and all of this is coming to fruition. And I think that is such an important element that you are seeing in Ezra at this moment in his character and in the words that he's proclaiming is because what Ezra is doing is he is looking at all of the things that are happening in his life and he's attributing them to God. Now, the reason why I think that's important is because as as I think in general human nature, we have the tendency to do that half the time. And here's what I mean by that. When things go bad, we can be very quick to blame God. And when things go good, we can be very quick to blame ourselves. (laughs) When things are bad, what is God doing? What's the matter up there? You know, I don't understand what is going on. As soon as things are going great, well, you know, I'm pretty smart. And I make good decisions, you know, and I was right there on it at the right time. And, you know, I was figuring it out. I want you to see Ezra's not doing that. 
Ezra is putting this in the hands of God and is recognizing that all of his success is because of God. And there's a mentality and an attitude that we must adopt because it's so easy to take the good things and simply say, well, that's because of me. I did something. It's me. It's my choices, my life, my way. I was doing that. And I just am impressed by Ezra, who just simply by getting this decree says, that was God. It was completely him. It was because of God that I was able to see his steadfast love shown to me before the kings that the king was able to answer in the way that he did. To be able to lay these things at the feet of God and say, it is God, it is all God. And the reason why I think sometimes we can have, as I had on that first screen, where we say, you know, I just don't see what God is doing or I don't know where God is or why are these things the way they are is sometimes I think we can fail to observe the good hand of God simply because we're not looking for it. Simply because we're not looking for it. You have to be impressed with the repetition of Ezra saying, it was the good hand of God. It was the good hand of God. It was the good hand of God. It was God who was doing it. It was God. It was God. It was God. God." He's looking for it. He's expecting it. He's okay. God's going to be here in this moment. God is going to help me. That'll really come out in chapter eight. All the more will you see him continue to depend upon God and look to God to provide for him and help him. And through some pretty questionable circumstances that are going to be hard for him. He's looking for that. He's seeking that hand of God, that God is going to help me in this moment. And he's going to be the one who's going to get me through. And so I think it is important to consider Ezra. Now think about his credentials as it was set up. Because Ezra could have said, well, it's because I'm such a good, you know, priest or I studied the the law so well. That was the good hand of God. God is the reason why these things happen. Now, what this does in this preparation for the work of Ezra and what he's about to do, you'll notice that chapter eight opens. And again, we have the tendency as you come into chapter eight to want to fly by all of those names and go, okay, well, there's a bunch of names. But I want you to consider again, as we saw in the first half of Ezra, that these are the people who are having the courage to return with Ezra to Jerusalem. Again, please consider you are walking away from everything you know. Now, you might remember when we talked about the first return, there were some people who would have remembered what life was like before the fall of Jerusalem. Not these. We're out here in 458 BC approximately at this point now. We're far, far gone from when Solomon's temple originally stood around 140 years later. There is not a single soul who has heard this decree by the Persian king to say, hey, you can go back to Jerusalem if you want. Not a single one of them would know what that looked like. Not a single one of them had ever lived there. Their home, their life had been all Persia. That's all they've known. They have been under Persian rule for 80 years at this point. And so for 80 years, it's all Persia. And they are willing to walk away from culture and life and everything that they know and to go back to Jerusalem to do the work that God had set forward. And so there's a beautiful thing to say, here are the people, here are the names, here are the families, here are the clans and the groups who were willing to do the work. And notice God sees that. God knew who were the ones who were willing to make the sacrifice and go back to Jerusalem. And I want you to notice there's a problem that arises in verse 15. 
And so I gathered them to the river at runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. And as I reviewed the people and the priests, I found that there were none of the sons of Levi. That's a problem. He gathers all the people and says, let's go back to Jerusalem. And we've got all the other tribes. We've got other peoples, all the other clans, but no Levites. And I want you to notice what he does next. He, in verse 16, it says he sends for these leading men who, who were there, as well as in verse 17, some of these other men that were in these leading, leading men in these various places. And he basically sends a letter and says, you need, verse, end of verse 17, send us ministers for the house of our God. That was the role of the Levites. We need workers who will belong to God and do the work of the temple that we are going back for. And so notice what verse 18 says. You might be surprised by this phrase. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion, the sons of Mel, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely Sherebi and his sons and kinsmen. And it starts naming the people who were willing to come, who were all set apart into verse 20, set apart to attend the Levites. These are all mentioned by name. And so here is the call. We need people to go do this work. We have an important task. And notice here's Ezra going and guess what happened? Even though there was a great task ahead and I didn't have the right people at the time, the good hand of God <laughs> provided for us and gave us exactly what we needed in that moment so that the Levites came and so that we could go and we could return. And one more picture of this. Verse 21 says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God. To seek from him a safe journey for ourselves and our children and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him. And the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted. And implored our God for this. And he listened to our entreaty. So now he gathers the people that he needs. We're about to go on the journey. We're going to make this many month journey from Persia all the way to Jerusalem. And before making the journey, I want you to notice the first thing he says that we humbled ourselves and prayed. We humbled ourselves before the journey. And then we prayed. Think about the devotion, the reliance, the dedication that Ezra has on God. Before we dare make this journey, we better ask for God's help. And then you'll notice the picture is even pushed a little bit further in something that sounds a little strange. He says, I was asking God to give a safe journey for ourselves and our children and our goods. And he says in verse 22, I was ashamed to ask the king for protection, for some soldiers to go with us. Well, Ezra, why were you so afraid to do that? And he says, well, because I had told the king that God is with his people who depend upon him. <laughs> and what you see Ezra doing is saying, I wanted to prove that. I wanted to show the king that 
The good hand of God is on all of those who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. It's a beautiful answer that that he gives. And this is what is in his mind and in his heart. I want to be able to show that those who put their faith in God are never let down. And so I wasn't going to go ask the king for some soldiers. I was going to put it in the hand of God. And I was going to make sure that we prayed we humbled ourselves and we put it in the hand of God. And verse 23 says, and he listened to our entreaty. We made it. We made the journey. We made it safely just as we had hoped and just as we had put our faith in God. They believed that God would provide, would provide for them. They believed that God would take care of them. They believed that if they devoted themselves to the work, that God would be with them. And now I want to take a moment and think about for ourselves, simple question. How many times have you seen the good hand of God in that way? And how often have you told other people regarding whatever the circumstance that God's going to take care of you? And you've had somebody tell you that God's going to take care of you through this. And you've had to tell yourself that God's going to take care of me through this. And I mean that in a way that is not just flippant. Oh, yeah, God's going to take care of you. Not not like that, but actually like we see with Ezra, humbling ourselves before God and being completely dependent upon him so that we would be able to rely on him in that kind of way. God, I am in this particular circumstance and here's what I need. And only you can provide only you can do this. And that's what you see Ezra doing. And I hope that we would think about in our lives, how many times have we seen that? How many times have we been able to see the good hand of God lead us through great opportunities and get us through the worst of times? And you've been in the darkest of places or on the highest of mountain peaks, that it has been the good hand of God that has brought you through those moments every single time. That's what God is picturing here through Ezra. And I want to kind of flip the question the other way a little bit and push it a little bit more. How many times have we humbled ourselves like this before making a decision or before going forward in the day? That's what I'm always impressed by Ezra here. Before he seems to do anything, he's humbling himself before God. He's looking for the good hand of God and seeking for God's sovereign help in that circumstance. And you see that here before we take off. on It's not like halfway along in the journey and there's some trouble that comes up and he goes, oh, you know, God, you need to help us before we even take a step in this direction. God, I am humbling myself before you and I am entreating you and I am asking for your good hand. I said at the beginning of the lesson, there may not be a better thing to devote yourself, but to the study of the word, to the doing of the word and the teaching of the word. And I would also say to you, there might not be a better thing to think and utter when you wake up in the day 
except words like this, that God, I want to see your good hand to help me through this day. And I humble myself before you to be able to do as you want me to do. Ezra is amazing in how he humbles himself. And he shows that you can see God's good hand if we will look for him in every aspect of our lives. I think one of the one of the dangers, one of the concerns that as Christians we can fall into is sometimes looking at God in terms of pieces of the pie. Like my, here is my life as a whole and I've got my family piece and my work piece and my hobbies piece and my recreation piece and my God piece. So I've got all of my pieces and as long as my biggest piece is God, then God's pleased. And it's a very broken way to think about how we function before God because God's picture is, no, I'm supposed to be the hub in your wagon wheel and that all of the lines shooting off of God are, yes, your work and your, and, and your hobbies and your family and all that, but God touches every aspect of it. And that's what Ezra is showing here is the good hand of God is not about seeing it on Sunday. But seeing it on Monday morning and seeing it Monday night and seeing it every day of your life of how God can be with you and carry you through. And you see this beautiful picture of Ezra humbling himself before God and seeking him so that he would be able to depend upon whatever God was going to bring him. He knew that God was going to care for him. Sometimes we think of prayer and we think of humbling ourselves only in times of trouble. And I want you to notice in chapter 7 and chapter 8, there's no trouble. (laughs) He's just leaning on God because that's the relationship that he has. That's the picture that he shows in his life. So let's talk about the good hand of God as as we, we close. Three key principles that I want to talk about in the last few minutes. Number one. What we see Ezra doing in devoting himself to these things. But I just want to ask a simple question. Why would we expect to see the good hand of God and experience the good hand of God in our lives if we devote ourselves to so many other things besides the studying of his word, the doing of his word, and the teaching of his word? That's how Ezra is put forward. Ezra has devoted himself, set his heart to do these things. And that is what kicks off everything about what's happening with Ezra. It's not Ezra. I've devoted myself, you know, to all kinds of other fun things and doing recreational stuff and enjoying the ways of the world. And I sure hope to see the good hand of God one day. It is I've devoted myself to God. Why would we ever expect to be able to see the good hand of God at work in our lives if we haven't given ourselves completely to that kind of dedication to him and his ways and his will and his word? Ezra is is an amazing example of that, that if we want to see the good hand of God, if we want to see those things in our lives, there is the minimum requirement of giving ourselves back to him, that we're going to seek him and seek his ways. And we have such a tendency to wonder, well, where is the good hand of God? But do we really want that? Or do we really devote ourselves and devote our time to the ways of God and the things of God? Second, Ezra looked for the good hand of God and attributed all the good he experienced to God. 
is something that you see the apostles even doing. When, when, when the apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and in those first four chapters is really going after their arrogance that they have over their divisions and their fighting, their lack of harmony. And he asked them this question. What do you have that you did not receive? I think the implication is nothing. Everything you have is from God. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? It is such an important reminder that everything that we have is from God. Everything points to the good hand of God. And that's what Ezra is doing is everything I've experienced, that's got to be God. That's got to be God at work. God is answering prayers. God is accomplishing his purposes. God is at work. And so many times we see God's hand at work and we fail to attribute it to God. And I don't know if that's because of our naturalistic world or our scientific world or our what it is world that we have, but we will attribute all those things so much to anything and anyone else but God himself. You know, we were just four weeks ago so extraordinarily concerned that Ed Fielding was not going to make it. You have bleeding on the brain and you are in the hospital and he is practically incoherent. And now he's home and talking about coming to church soon. If we don't point to the good hand of God, we're crazy. This is the good hand of God that is actively involved in our lives in doing amazing things that so often we attribute everywhere else except to God's great work. This is what Ezra understood. He didn't say, what a great king I have that he let us go back. He says, that's the great hand of God. He doesn't turn around and go, I was really smart to write that letter. No, it's the good hand of God that did it. He doesn't say, it's a good thing I sure asked about Levites because we would have been in trouble without Levites. He says, no, that was the good hand of God. Everything was the good hand of God. We must have that lens to look at life through that lens that every breath we have is the good hand of God and everything that we enjoy is the good hand of God. Number three, and finally... And that means then we must humble ourselves. That's what it takes to be able to make those steps like Ezra's making is to be able to humble ourselves before God. It is not me. I am not here where I am in my life after 46 years because of me. It's because of God. And it is only because of God. And I only have what I have because of God. And any joy that I have is because of God. And any blessings that I have is because of God. And we must humble ourselves before God and say, I am where I am because of him. And I enjoy what I enjoy because of him. And that's what Ezra is doing. He is humbling himself before God. And because of that, he is able to have the courage to depend upon him. What a courageous thing to go, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to ask for soldiers because I made a proclamation to the king that God will provide. What a great thing to be able to say. Because I believe that God's going to get me through this. That he is going to provide. He is going to help in some way. And he looked for that help and had the courage because he saw God's hand at work. And that is the picture that is given to us. If we will humble ourselves devote ourselves and look for the good hand of God in our lives, 
We can see God at work in amazing ways. We just need to open our eyes and see what God is doing. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, forgive us for how often we do not attribute the things that you are doing to you. So often, Lord, we can think it's because of our power or wisdom, decision-making, and the like, and fail to recognize that every good gift is from you, everything that we enjoy is from you, and so God, forgive us for how often we can do that, how often we forget you, how often we can forget to give you thanks, how often we can forget to proclaim to other people that we are seeing the good hand of God in our lives. Please forgive us. And Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you before each day. Help us to not have confidence in ourselves, Lord. Help us to have confidence in you. That each day we would rise up and look to you and see the work that you are doing in our lives today. And God, I pray that you would stir our hearts to be devoted to your word to be devoted to studying it, to doing it, and to teaching it. God, stir us up and and show us the things that we are doing that show a devotion and a dedication to things of this world rather than you. Help us to see where we are straying in those areas, Lord. Make it readily apparent to us. And Lord, we pray that we would see your good hand in our lives individually. And Lord, we pray that we would see your good hand in the work of this church, in this community, in this county, and in this area. God, please bless us, bless our work, bless our efforts, send people here to hear the gospel, and help us be the salt and light that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the picture of Ezra. We're almost done with him, but he's an amazing, amazing individual, and I hope that you will consider the good hand of God in your life to look to the great things that he has accomplished. And if we can help you in any way to turn back to him and follow him with all of your heart, we wanted to help you in that effort. Turn to him now this very night. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?